Well, good morning. It is so good to see you guys. I haven't really introduced myself yet, so I will introduce myself. My name is Eric, and I'm your new pastor here. And I'm so excited to meet all of you guys. Um, and I know that it's going to take me a few weeks to get names. I apologize. So if I repeat your name like seven times while staring at you, it's not because I'm weird. It's because I'm really trying to understand and I want to make sure I get that. But please give me some grace because names are not my strong suit. This is my beautiful wife, Leslie. And so you guys, I know it's a joke that the wife is the better half, but I mean it. She is the better half. And so I can't wait for you guys to meet her. But what I'm excited about is you guys have been doing 52 stories, which I think is amazing, where people from the church get to give their testimony of what Jesus has done in their life. And I love that so much because the Bible says that we actually overcome with the power of our testimony. And I think that there's, there's a, a, a problem sometimes in church where we feel like we, we got to hide our testimony or somehow be ashamed of where we've come from. And the Bible tells us the opposite. Our testimony is powerful. Our testimony is something that we can show the world to say, wherever you are, Jesus can do something. And so this morning, I'm really excited to give you a short snippet of my testimony. So that way, as I teach to you the Bible, you know a little bit of who I am and, and where I've come from. And so this is a abridged version. You'll hear more and more of it as I continue to teach because I draw from my own experience, from a lot of stuff. But I grew up in the church. So I grew up, I was, I was like a lot of those good-looking young men back there where I was at the church all the time. Probably four or five days a week I spent at church. And I knew the Bible incredibly well. I had all the knowledge up here. I knew all the Bible stories. The problem was I wasn't really believing in Jesus. I was believing in someone else's belief in Jesus. Does that make sense? I was, I was believing in someone else's faith. And I thought that that was what I was supposed to be doing. So someone would tell me, well, this is true of Jesus. And I would say, well, I believe your word about Jesus. But I never really believed in myself, in Jesus. And so one of the problems with that one of the problems of having faith in Christians and not faith in Jesus is that Christians let you down. Amen? Christians let you down. And, and I'll even be honest, at some point, I'll probably let you down because I'm not perfect and I'm still growing in who I am and what God's calling me to do. And I remember even as I was getting a little older and at 13 and at 14, I started to see that these Christians that I had put all my faith into were flawed. And it began to mess with me. And I started to see what I would call some hip hypocrisy and things. And instead of allowing myself to just press further into my faith in Jesus, I instead started to get really, really bitter and I started to get really jaded. You guys know what that feels like to start to get really jaded when it comes to your faith? Got very cynical. I started to poke holes in everything and, and find what was wrong with everything. And by the time I was out of high school, I was so upset with the church. I was so jaded that I just ran away. And really my story is the story of the prodigal son. If you want to know who I am, you can go ahead and just 
read the story of the prodigal son in the book of Luke because that's my story. And one thing that happened that I love about Jesus is he chases us. Do you guys know that? Jesus will chase you and he will, he will press into you. And this whole time that I was away from the church, I was almost haunted by everything that I knew. And that's where if you have children, the Bible tells you that what you teach them won't depart from them. And that happened to me. I, all these Bible verses that I knew were just on me. And it was like I, I was trying to run away, but Jesus kept coming with me wherever I went. And even King David said that, surely you will follow me. And it was like I couldn't get away from, from God. And I remember even praying, God, I believe in you, but I just, this whole being a Christian thing and going to church, that's what I'm running away from. And God was like, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm chasing after you. And I remember what, what ended up happening is I had tried to numb those things through the ways that you would think, you know, alcohol and drugs, all the fun stuff. And, and finally, what ended up happening was there was a group that was basically a church that was run by people in their 20s, which is a, a crazy thing. It, was, it wasn't really a church. It was more of a small group. It was a young adult group. Um, and I remember going there and I wouldn't even say I let my walls down because it wasn't even that much. God was pushing so hard on my heart and chasing me down so hard that it was almost just like all I needed to do was step back and just stop holding the wall up. And he kind of crashed through like the Kool-Aid man, if you guys can visualize that. And it just took me not even letting my walls down, but just not purposefully trying to keep God out. And I'll, I'll never forget what happened was um, I'm not someone who has a big flair for the dramatic. I tend to be pretty straightforward. And, and we were doing this worship service in this young adult group. And I just kind of opened my heart a little bit and said, okay, God, um, if you want to speak to me, I'll let you. And I remember in that moment, he let me feel the weight of my sin. And I don't have a flair for the dramatic, but I actually collapsed onto the ground because I could feel the weight of my sin in that moment. And I had never been able to fully understand what that was before. And I remember in the moment being on the ground and understanding I can't get up. I'll never be able to get up. I grew up with older siblings and we would wrestle a lot. You guys know what I'm talking about? And there's times where somebody pins you and you're like, if I can just move a little bit, I can get out of this. And then there's other times where someone has you pinned and you just know like, that I cannot get out of this. There's no way I will ever get out of this. I have to just tap because this is not going to work for me. And I remember having that understanding of I, I will never be able to get up. This is too much. This is too heavy. And all of a sudden, everything that I had learned my whole life, all of that head knowledge of who Jesus was and how he had died for me, it, it suddenly moved from my head to my heart in a way that it never had before because I finally understood it and I finally understood grace. And I remember that weight just, just falling like, like someone had kind of wet it down and it just slipped off. And it was the first time I understood what grace was and the fullness of that grace. And it was the first time that Jesus and faith was about me and Jesus and not about 
someone else's faith. And for the first time, it wasn't my parents. It wasn't a mentor's. It was my faith alone with Jesus. And from that moment, I was all in. And I said, if you give me this kind of grace, if you can give me this kind of love, if you can give me this kind of mercy, then I will obey you with everything that I have. And it was at that young adult group that I met uh, a young lady named Leslie. And it was a process of obeying God over and over and over again. And I will tell you, when you understand the pain of disobedience, what it feels like to try to run from God, and you feel that, there is such a privilege and joy in obeying. And that's one thing I will say is I love obeying Jesus because I know the pain and I know what happens when I try to run away from what he's asking me to do. And so people will ask me, when, do you, when did you know you were called to be a pastor? And I'll say, well, it was a process because I think if Jesus would have said, hey, you're called to be a pastor, I would have been really scared and probably would have been way too much. But instead it was, hey, I'm calling you to obey in this. I'm calling you to give a message at this young adult group. I'm calling you to lead a table at this young adult group. And as I kept obeying, God kept doing more and more in my life. And eventually we're here. But what I will say is, number one, a couple takeaways I hope you get from my testimony is, first of all, grace is amazing. And like we sang today, if you can think about grace and it doesn't blow your mind, then you might have to think a little harder about it because grace is unbelievable and it's life-changing, the understanding of grace. Number two, don't discount the prodigal because the Bible says those who know what they've been forgiven of can do great things. And you're looking at a prodigal and I believe there's a world out there of people who have ran away that God is calling back. Don't discount them because they can do great things. And lastly, I hope that you get out of my testimony is that it's never too late from where you are and obedience is always the answer. A lot of times we look at what's my purpose? What's the end goal? What am I supposed to do? But the Bible talks about just being willing to obey in the moment. Right now, What's obedience look like today? What is Jesus asking you to do? And if we can set up our lives based on just being willing to day by day obey what Jesus is asking of us, we're always going to be where we're supposed to be. And that's what brought us here today is obedience. And we are so blessed and we're so excited to be here because of that. And ultimately, if you look at the life of Jesus, that's what he said is, I do what the Father tells me to do. I obey. And if we can have that heart, I believe that the world is going to change. And so that's a quick snippet of my testimony. There's way more there. But that's just for you to know a little bit more about where I come from and where my heart is. And, um, and I'm sure you'll hear more later on. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us into the sermon today. And we're going to talk about the book of Colossians, and we're going to take over where you guys had left off there. But before I jump in, I always like to pray over the message. Would you guys pray with me over this? Lord, I ask that you help me speak exactly what you have to say. I pray that 
that I don't give just my opinion on things, that, that I'm really representing who you are and that we all hear what you brought us here to hear. Lord, I, I don't think anyone's here by coincidence. You brought every single person here. And so, Lord, you speak exactly what you want to speak this morning. In your name, amen. So we're going to read out of Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 4 in one chunk. And then we're going to kind of break it down from there. So this is where it is, starting at verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians. And the Colossians had a problem that he was trying to address. And I think it's a problem that many of us have. They were trying to live heavenly lives. Hopefully that's where we all are. They were trying to live heavenly lives, but their focus was on earthly things. And so he was trying to address this because that doesn't work very well. It doesn't work to try to live a heavenly life when your heart and your mind and your focus is on earthly things. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us are living in that place too. And it's really frustrating to try to live a heavenly life when you're having to focus on earthly things. So the first question is, what is heavenly and earthly? What are we talking about when, when the Apostle Paul says heavenly things and earthly things? Is that just things that are in the air versus things that are on the ground? No. When the Bible talks about heavenly things, what it's talking about is things that are permanent. Things that are going to last forever. Things that in the next age are going to still be around. The things that matter long term for the rest of our lives and even past our lives. Those are the, the heavenly things. The things about God's kingdom, those are the heavenly things. And the earthly things, when it says things of this earth, what it's talking about are temporary things. The things that seem to matter right now, but in the long term are going to be completely forgotten. That aren't going to matter for all of eternity. I had a really good mentor once tell me, because I used to, when I first was in ministry, it was like everything was the end of the world. Like every problem was like, what are we going to do? Anytime someone disagreed with me, anytime there was conflict, it was like, oh, what are we going to do? And my mentor, he basically said, think about it in five years. If it's not going to matter in five years, then it's not important. And I thought about it and I said, man, like 90% of the stuff, if I truly think about it in five years will not matter at all. And think about five years in the scope of eternity. We could very easily say, if it's not going to matter in 50 years, then it isn't something that we should let ourselves lose sleep over. But the problem is with the Colossians and the problem with most of us, and I'll raise my hand that I have a problem with this, is I am so lost in the earthly, in the temporary, in the things that in five years aren't going to matter, in 10 years aren't going to matter 
right? Getting the color just right. We moved into a new house and it's like, you're, you're trying to paint. We painted a wall and it's like, I'm trying to focus on it. The edging has to be just right. And I don't want to make any mistakes. And it's like, in five years, am I going to care if some of this paint got on the trim? No. But how much of my energy, how much of my time is focused on these things that don't matter? And Paul is trying to give them advice on you cannot live a heavenly life if all of your focus is on earthly things. Your life is not going to have the permanent impact that you want it to if everything you're thinking about and focusing on is temporary. Those don't go together. And what I love is it's not like a, a punishment of you're not allowed to focus on the, the temporary things. What an amazing blessing it is to have the freedom to not focus on that. Because he says later, like, you used to think about this stuff. You guys remember, before you knew Jesus, you had no choice. The temporary things were the only things that mattered. You didn't even have the option of being focused on the heavenly things. What an amazing blessing it is to look at, at the things that are temporary and say, I don't need to get lost in this stuff. What a privilege. What a blessing. So this is not a punishment to not think about the temporary. This is a privilege. So Paul gives some advice. And here's the first piece of advice he gives, is to know where you are seated. Another way to say that is know where you live. It says that we were raised with Christ. What does that mean? Have you guys ever thought about that? It says you have been raised with Christ. Meaning, if you believe in Jesus, if you've given your life to him and you are saved, you no longer live in the same place that you used to live. And, and, and a lot of times when we think of that, we think of, well, when I die and go to heaven, then I'll be in a different place. But the Bible actually tells us that if you have given your life over to Christ, he is actually already brought you to a different place. You, you are living from a different place. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2. He confirms this. He says almost the exact same thing. And this is verse 6. He says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Again, these words are he raised. Past tense, not will raise. And he has seated. It's already happening. And a lot of times we're trying to live this heavenly life, but we're trying to live it from the same place that we've always lived. And you can't live a different life from the same place you've already lived. So it's not just about trying to live a heavenly life. It's understanding that, that you're called to live in a heavenly place now. Not just when you die and go to heaven, but, but now you are operating from a different place. You've, you've moved. You've been relocated, in a sense, to be with Christ in a heavenly place. And until you understand that you're living in a place of heavenly, permanent, going to matter forever, you're never going to be focused on those heavenly, permanent things. You're going to keep focusing on the temporary things because that's where you still think that you live. And what I love is it says that we have been seated with Christ. And that word seated literally means to force to sit down, to, to make somebody sit. And I always think of my dogs. We have two bulldogs. And if those of you who don't know, bulldogs are the most stubborn dogs on the face of the planet. 
You can't get bulldogs to do anything that they don't want to do. And oftentimes they're all, they will just try to go wherever they're not supposed to go. And so if I'm trying to get them to stay somewhere, if I'm like, this is where you're supposed to be, they're of course going to try to go wherever they're not supposed to go. And so if I'm like, no, you need to stay here, what I do is I make them sit down. And I say, sit, stay. This is where you're supposed to be right now. This is what Jesus has done for us. Is he's, he's taken this place of permanence, of, of importance, of, of real heavenly matter, and he said, sit, stay. This is where I have brought you. This is where I want you to reside. And we have to understand that that's where we operate from, is from that place of permanence, from that place of heavenly things mattering. I'm a Star Wars nerd. Anyone else? Yes. Okay, good. I'm not alone. So there's a new, there's a new series right now on Obi-Wan. And one of his most famous lines in Star Wars is, it's over, I have the high ground, right? That's kind of one of his most famous lines. And the understanding is when you have the high ground, you're operating from a different place. You have an advantage that is almost impossible to overcome. And that goes all the way back to the art of war, which is like an ancient rule book of war. And it's like, if you have the high ground, 98% of the time you're going to win by default. It's always about that. And we have to understand that as Christians, we always have the high ground. That's, we've been seated there. He has caused us to sit in the heavenly place. And we're never going to operate with a focus on the heavenly, on the permanent, until we understand where we have been placed. Because that's where we've been placed. So number one, know where you've been seated. Know that if you believe in Jesus and you've given your life over to him, you have been seated with Christ in a place of permanence, in a place of where everything matters. And that's going to help you. That's the first step of having a focus on the heavenly and the permanent. So that's the first thing. You have been seated with Christ. We have to have that be our reality and live with that real understanding. But then the next step is you have to bring your heart and your mind along with you there. He specifically says, Therefore, since you have been seated with Christ, since this is the reality, you've been seated with Christ, choose to make sure your mind and your heart are there with you. That sounds simple, but you guys know it's actually pretty easy to physically be somewhere and not have your heart there with you, right? If you have a cabin and you go for the weekend on the lake and you come back and Monday morning you're at work, is your heart there? No, your heart is still at the lake. Even though your body is there, your heart is not there with you. And this is a real problem that we have as Christians is we'll, we'll physically go where we're told to go, but our hearts won't be there with us. And that's where Paul says, okay, so you have to know where you've been seated, but then make sure your heart is there with you. Because Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 15, he's actually quoting Isaiah, and he's like, Isaiah had it right when he told this. This is verse 8. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So the, the Israelites would go to the temple. They'd physically go where they're supposed to go, and they'd even say what they're supposed to say, but they didn't bring their hearts with them. And Jesus is like, No, you got to bring your heart along with you. 
So you have to know where you've been seated. You've been seated in the permanent. You've been seated in the heavenly. But your heart can't stay in the temporary because that's where you feel that tension. And I feel like a lot of us as Christians, we feel that tension. We feel that, that ah, I'm split apart because our heart is still with the temporary, even though we've been seated with the permanent. And that's where, do you guys know the word peace of the fruit of the Spirit? The word peace actually just means to be complete, to be undivided. Because when you don't have peace, you feel that division. You feel that you've been pulled apart. Something has been separated that shouldn't be separated. And so peace is when you finally get united. You're complete again. And this is where a lot of us as Christians don't have peace because we've been put somewhere, but we haven't brought our heart along with us. So you have to know where you've been seated, but then you have to bring your heart there with you. And I say that this is something that I encourage each of you, even this week, try to be present wherever you are and watch how it changes. When you're at work, bring your heart with you. But then when you're at home, bring your heart with you. And when you're with your kids, get your heart there with them. And when you're with your spouse, get your heart there with it. And watch what happens to your spirit when your heart is where you are. It changes things. And so we have to bring our hearts with us, but we have to also bring our minds with us. And you might be saying, well, you can't just not bring your mind with you. I was like, nah, you haven't met some of the people I've met then. That's a joke. That's a joke. Don't, don't quote it. But this is James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, it's not so much that we're absent-minded. It's that we try to be double-minded. We think that our thoughts can be permanent and temporary at the same time. And, and they can't. You know, they actually have a study on multitasking. Any of you guys feel like you're pretty decent multitaskers? Leslie was brave enough to raise her hand. I think you guys know where I'm going. They've done a study to say that actually multitasking isn't what you think it is. Most of us think that multitasking is our brain being able to think about two things at the same time. But they've actually found that really what it is is your brain just bouncing really fast between two things that your brain doesn't actually have the capacity to think about two things at once. The study also found that most people overestimate their ability to multitask, so they think that they're better at it than they actually are, and that the study finds that for almost everybody, it is less productive to try to do two things at once than to do one thing at a time, that you will actually get more done if you just do one thing at a time, because our brains are meant to be in one place. And somehow this narrative has gotten out there that your brain can be doing a hundred different things and it simply can't. And that's where our brain really is only going to be able to be on the permanent or the temporary. And we've got to get rid of that lie that it can be focused on both at the same time because it can't. So you've got to make a choice. Are my thoughts going to be about things that are permanent or are my thoughts going to be about things that are temporary? because I'm not going to do both. If anything, all I'm doing is jumping back and forth and exhausting myself. And most of you guys know what that feels like, that mental fatigue of, of bouncing back and forth between the permanent and the temporary. What's going to be important? What am I thinking about? So number one, you got to know where you're seated. Then you got to bring your heart and your mind with you. The last thing is you have to let them be settled. 
So in, in Colossians, where it says, set your hearts, that's actually only one word in the original language. And, and the King James actually says to strive. But what that word means is to investigate in order to get to the bottom of something. It's almost like an obsessive investigation. You guys know you watch that detective show and they've got the board with like everyone's pictures and they got like threads, people, and they're kind of like crazed. It's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to get this settled. I'm going to solve this. That's what that, that word means. And when it comes to the permanent or the temporary, we have to settle on one. We have to let it be settled. Do you guys know that that's God's heart on issues for you? He wants things to be settled for you. The enemy wants to stir up what's going on. It's kind of like when you go to the beach, if, you, if you're in like the, the shallow water, you can kind of stick your head in and you can see everything. But if someone comes and just starts kicking sand, all of a sudden it's like you can't see anything. That's what the enemy is always trying to do. Kick up sand, just muddy the water. And God desires for things to be settled. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And this is, this is God pushing forward to Jesus, saying, watch for Jesus. He says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is God's heart. In fact, his last words on the cross that we say, it is finished, that was a business term that they would stamp on debt that says, finished, debt is paid, settled. This debt has been settled. No one can try to get you to pay on this anymore. That's his heart, is for things to be settled. And so that is the, that's the fight. God is constantly trying to settle things for you. And the enemy is constantly trying to stir it up. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? That's what the serpent said to Eve. Did God really say? Just trying to stir it up a little bit. Because he knew, Eve, you don't even have to believe me. I just have to stir up the thing that God settled for you. And so we have to let it be settled. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21 says this, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. It's time for us to get things settled. And I think of where Leslie and I are at right now. So, so we, we moved. We bought a house. We understood our residence has changed. Just like when you're a Christian, Christ has seated you in a different place. Your residence has changed. So we could know that, but it wouldn't make much sense if we didn't bring our stuff with us, Right? You got to bring your stuff with you. You got to bring your heart and mind along with you to that new place. But then you have to unpack it. You have to settle in. If you guys, if we had one of you over for dinner in six months and nothing was on the walls and nothing was unpacked, you'd be like, what's going on? You got to settle. You got you to make this your home. And it, you can't just bring your heart and your mind with you. You have to settle them and be like, this is done. This is resolved. This is where I live. This is where my heart and my mind reside. And that is when your life will start to be that heavenly life that you desired it. It's getting your heart and your mind along with you and letting it be settled and not trying to bounce back and forth between the permanent and the temporary. Do we all have bills to pay? Yes. 
I'm not saying that you can't have that kind of focus on the temporary of taking care of the things that you have to take care of. But you guys know what that, that heart and full mind focus are when the temporary becomes all that you worry about. It becomes your main focus. And the Bible just tells us you're not going to have a heavenly life if your heart and your mind are focused on the temporary. It doesn't work. So this is what we do. First of all, we acknowledge where we live. We live in the heavenly. Right now, we've been seated there. We are allowed to focus on the heavenly. So we bring our heart and our minds with us there, and then we settle it. We let it be settled where we live. And that's where my main takeaway for you, if someone says, what did, what did pastor preach on today? Be where you are. You got to know where you are, and then you have to be there. So know that you are in the permanent. That if you are a Christian, you are now permanent. And that's where you live and that's where you reside for all eternity. You are a heavenly person. Then you have to bring your stuff with you and be there and really live there. And if you do, you're going to start to see that impact that you want. But you're also going to see that tension start to leave because you're not going to be divided between two things. You're not going to be double-minded. You're not going to have your heart in one place and your body somewhere else. And I think if we can do that, that's when we're going to start to see the impact. And that's what Paul was saying to the Colossians, is I know that you desire to live this heavenly life, but your hearts and your mind aren't in the right place. And I think that's something we can all take away from, is I think, especially in, in these days, it's so easy to be focused on the temporary, right? It's so easy to slip into that focusing on the things that aren't going to matter. But if we know where we live, really understand it, bring our hearts, our minds with us, unpack them, get it settled there, we're going to start to live that life that we're called to live. So I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray over the offering, and then we'll move on to announcements. Lord, I pray over everybody here. I pray that you help us to be where we are. Lord, I, help, I, I pray that you help us to really believe that we have been seated with you, that we don't live in the same place that we used to live, that we don't have to worry about the same things that we used to worry about. Lord, I pray that you help us get our, our hearts and our minds with us there, that, that they're locked on the permanent, Lord God. And I pray that it's settled. I pray protection that the enemy wouldn't stir things up, wouldn't get us to, to focus back on the temporary. And Lord, I pray that we would impact your kingdom on, on permanent things, on things that are going to last and are going to matter. I pray this in your name. And Lord, we pray over the offering. I pray that you bless it. I pray that, Lord, you you bless those that give. I pray that you, you make this money do exactly what you have called it to do, that it's going to impact your kingdom. It's going to change lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.